0: Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special
1: focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of India Rising Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore. We are back after a a significant break. Uh, We were were looking at some personal stuff and that resulted in quite a long uh, uh, break between our previous episode and the one today. Now that we have uh, come back, we are now uh, ready to look at uh, the pressing issues that are in discussion as of uh, now. And that's what we'll be discussing today. So uh, to begin with, I think we can start off with uh, the big elephant in the room, uh, Mohal. We can look at uh, China and what's happening over there. And uh, as everybody knows, uh, President uh, Xi Jinping was elected on the post uh, for an unprecedented uh, third term and why is it unprecedented and why is it significant for everybody including india you want to talk about that yeah so i mean since the time of Deng Xiaoping, i
0: mean he had suffered under the like the single person rule of mao and the cult personality that had grown around him so he had pushed for reforms in like probably like I guess four decades ago, where he wanted to impose term limits for the Chinese uh, Communist Party General Secretary. So, I mean, who is the main decision maker? Yeah. yeah. Now this, un, I mean, under like uh, whatever like uh, Deng Xiaoping has instilled, like around like for then it has been ongoing. I think the last two leaders, Hu Jintao and. Uh, uh, who was the last leader after him before uh, xi jinping anyways like the uh, i think it was uh, xi, Jiang xi yeah 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 so the whole point i was trying to make here was that uh, the reforms have been totally undone mm-hmm. over the um, I mean, this year, and now nobody knows. I mean, she could even very well stand for a fourth term in like five years' term.
1: Right. So sure. pre- okay, sure. yeah, we are pretty much looking at uh, Xi Jinping being the president of uh, uh, People's Republic of China pretty much for lifetime, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the situation that uh, everybody uh, is staring at. But uh, yeah, so now that uh, uh, I mean, also this was kind of expected as well. Uh, ever since uh, uh, the second term uh, that he elect- that he was elected unopposed. It was quite obvious that she would be uh, gunning for this and uh, there would be some amount of modification in their uh, Communist Party uh, constitution as well. But yeah, now that it's done and dusted, she is now focusing on uh, uh, more pressing things that uh, they have. I mean, everybody knows that they are... Uh, they are Single, single-mindedly single devoted towards a zero-COVID policy and they're willing to take uh, the short-term hits to achieve all that. But more importantly, uh, from a strategic uh, standpoint, uh, she would be interested in uh, the Taiwan unification whenever that would be possible. And I think that's where the focus is right now for, for China as well. And... Uh, Obviously, everybody knows about uh, the, uh, the US uh, leader uh, Nancy Pelosi visiting uh, Taiwan, which did not, which certainly did not go well uh, with the Chinese. And they had to kind of, uh, there was some amount of uh, skirmishes in the air as well, which nobody liked. And everybody started spooking around uh, hold on, what's happening between the world number one and world number two? And that kind of uh, second took context that uh, Taiwan was never a finished agenda. Taiwan has always been some kind of a frozen conflict. And uh, it would be at the mercy of China that it would be brought back into limelight. Now that uh, 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 Xi is uh, free to pick up uh, Taiwan issue whenever he wants to, I think think, uh, the US will also uh, be forced to react and act uh, accordingly. And that is where uh, uh, things might get heated up. And in the meanwhile, Taiwan as well, uh, from a Taiwanese perspective, they are they are kind of uh, trying their level best to uh, improve their relations with major countries around the world. In fact, even with India, they've had some amount of economic uh, relations. They're trying to strengthen their uh, relations. So basically what they want to do is They want to kind of share their knowledge uh, with regards to the semiconductor manufacturing uh, businesses that they have, in turn for some kind of uh, validation, in turn for some kind of support in global fora whenever the Taiwanese question arises. So I think that's where uh, the Taiwan issue is right now. But from an Indian perspective, I think the more the focus is on Taiwan, the lesser the focus is on Ladakh and Aksai Chin obviously, they take yeah. a back seat. And that is where uh, things can be a little more uh, cooler on our borders uh, in the northern frontiers. But more importantly, uh, also, we know that uh, our uh, Minister of External Affairs, uh, Subramanian Jayashankar whenever he moves around or talks to the Chinese counterparts, he he does not miss out on any opportunity to express Displeasure about what China did a couple of years ago, and I think that that is very uh, evident in uh, telling that India sees that as some kind of a backstabbing by China, something that India never expected. But now that it happened, uh, uh, India India also wants to underline the fact that now that you did to us, we are we are one hundred percent determined to uh, get you out of there and also ensure that. Uh, We will never trust you, and there is always going to be that level of uh, trust deficit. So I think that's another major issue that uh, China will have to deal with whenever it has to talk with uh, India. Mohan, yeah, I think uh, he has consistently said that uh,
0: delinking. I mean, about the Chinese one is delinking of the border issue with the overall relationship. Mm -hmm. And Jay has said that without having like peace or. or return to a status quo at the border, they cannot be normal in the other part of the relationship.
1: Right. I mean, even a, even a month, month and a half ago, we had the SEO summit and uh, Modi uh, Modi and Xi Jinping, uh, although there were these uh, group photo opportunities, uh, Modi ensured that uh, he would not be meeting uh, Xi Jinping in person or, or on a one-to-one uh, or at a one-to-one level. So I think that is the level of displeasure that India continues to express at any and every opportunity. Yeah, I think Modi, I think the first day there was
0: like an informal meet with all the SEO leaders. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, Modi deliberately probably would have gone the second day so that he was not part of the informal meetup uh, before the actual mm. summit.
1: Right.
0: And uh, also I think one of the key uh, disengagements in the... Uh, in the like Ladakh region happened before, so I think it almost makes one wonder that are these like is India holding the threat of not attending the SEO summit, which would be seen as a blow to Xi Jinping? Uh, right, right, yeah, yeah, like you know, or like threatened to not, not attend unless there's some movement at the border. So, interestingly, I think even in uh, uh, prior to Doklam, I think the SEO summit, like. India had made noises about not attending the, it the maybe it was a BRICS summit in 2017, but anyways the whole point was that uh, so maybe that could be the trigger for the de-escalation in the Kogarun Valley, you know, like you know, like near Gogra and uh, Hot Springs area, I mean. Yeah,
1: yeah, yep. Yeah. and uh, luckily for China though, I mean uh, the 2022 BRICS summit, uh, which was hosted by China, uh, happened to be in a digital format, so. Uh, that way, uh, she she would be spared of the embarrassment of uh, not getting to uh, not getting uh, Modi to attend that uh, uh, top level summit. But uh, yeah, the, I think I think the Chinese now understand the the significance that India is attaching to the entire border skirmish, and uh, this will this will only continue unless and until China uh, takes those extra steps. To pacify mm-hmm. uh, India, but more importantly, I think uh, moving a little uh, away, uh, we also now see U.S. also doubling down on economic sanctions on China, especially against the semiconductor manufacturing companies. So I think that way, uh, China has bigger fish to fry right now, uh, wherein the U.S.-China uh, uh, it, it's not it's not a animical relationship just right now. It's more of an adversarial relationship. Uh, I think that's the best way to uh, define the U.S.-China relationship right now, especially with the Nancy Pelosi visit and now uh, the the Ukraine war where China is consistently seen to be siding with Russia. I think U.S. now wants to uh, uh, take every opportunity to uh, double down on China, telling, hey, you know what, this is exactly what we don't want you to do. Uh, and we want you to uh, uh, get put in on uh, onto the table and make sure that he backs down uh, from his uh, the Ukrainian uh, eastern parts annexation. So I think that's what the US will also be trying with China, wherein uh, uh, it will be some kind of a carrot policy, wherein we uh, they'll show these economic sanctions and they'll tell, okay, if you talk to uh, Putin, we might want to uh, go slow on the sanctions so i think this kind of uh, uh, backroom dealing uh, might happen much more as time progresses also at the same time we also had the german chancellor olaf scholz who visited uh, uh, china just the past week wherein uh, i mean the stated the stated agenda was to strengthen economic ties between uh, germany and uh, china But uh, the the very timing of this visit raises serious question marks about uh, West's unity in tackling such matters, especially now that everyone is talking about uh, the European winter, where in Europe is hard-pressed to find uh, uh, energy solutions for their needs during their uh, uh, winter. And I think that's where every uh, major European country would be focused on uh, political stability as well uh, to ensure that the energy situation does not lead to any political instability. So I think everything is linked one one to the other, and uh, this is where the Chinese, uh, the happenings in China, have a bearing a uh, lot more than just the near shore, near shore of uh, China. Mohan,
0: I think uh, the the first thing you referred to was the semiconductor ban. So in the US. Uh, companies are uh, uh, cannot like export not only semiconductor chips, but also the equipment to manufacture these chips. And even their employees, they cannot be seen to be working in China. So there are a lot of, it's like a massive uh, escalation in terms of like, uh, I mean, a cold war, if you want to call it between China and US. And they are, I mean, the, the, the official line is that they want to prevent uh, any Chinese advances in like advanced weaponry or uh, AI or machine learning or quantum computing, so they don't want China to take a lead. So this is, uh, I mean, I mean, it was coming uh, in a way, but I mean, nobody expected this kind of ratcheting up, up of uh, the pressure on China uh, in this way, shape, or form, you know, by the Biden administration, especially like a month before the midterm election.
1: Yeah, and. I mean, when uh, Biden won, everybody would have thought, okay, uh, the U.S.-China relation might uh, see some kind of a thawing, especially since uh, Trump had taken an extreme position against China. But we mm-hmm. don't see that exactly happening. I mean,
0: that, that's like politics. Like Even when like, Biden came and said, like, oh, India and India relationships will nose down completely. Like, mm. uh, that's like what are, like many on the right were thinking. But I don't think that has happened. Obviously, there are like, some strain in the relationship but also with China I think there is like I mean there's like you can say like a bipartisan consensus on the hill that I mean they need India obviously minus the noises they make on human rights and all those yeah, other yeah. Uh, uh, stuff and then on China also there's a bipartisan consensus I mean like I mean Trump just made people more aware of it and I think COVID just accelerated the process that China is not a uh, I mean uh, good nation for the U.S. in terms of a good competitor Mm. and uh, there are long-term strategic challenges and I think people in both parties, I mean, obviously they play politics saying like the other, we are like more stuff, I mean, eventually it might be like the cold war, like the, with Russia, like, you know, both parties might try to, trying to outmuscle each other, say, oh, we are the true patriots and we will try to outmuscle China, though that's happening to an extent on Russia right now. But yeah, eventually, like everybody, both will try to, I mean, nobody wants to be appearing soft on China. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, they could have political ramifications in the next election where the opponent could simply say, like, hey, look at these guys, these are not uh, tough enough on, you know, and we'll be more tougher on China, you know. But okay. uh, yeah, I mean, Biden has proven some of the critics wrong. And it'll be interesting to see, I mean, even the Nancy Pelosi visit, if you look in the, read between the lines initially, like I think the White House wasn't too supportive of the visit. But eventually, like once she announced she was going, I don't think they had any uh, choice but to back her, right? Yes. But I mean ob- they ob- might ob- yeah, they yeah. might they might not have like wanted her to go and maybe it might just have raised the uh, I mean, escalated the situation more, but uh, I guess once she announced it was they had no choice and they had to back her, you know. And also Biden, if you like, I mean he has ditched the strategic ambivalence And he says like if China was attacked when their news anchors ask him he straightforward, mm-hmm. says, yeah. We'll protect, her but technically, the official line was supposed to be that okay, we will assess and like you know look
1: mm-hmm. and
0: like think about it. But uh, so that also like angers China, and that many experts worry that that could make China move a bit earlier than one they wanted against U.S. or maybe against Taiwan because they think that U.S. has ditched the strategic ambivalence policy with Taiwan, and they just want to. Uh, I mean, I mean, you could just hasten a conflict between uh the china and the us which could i mean happen in the next 5 years who knows i mean they have this uh target of 2027 which i believe is like the 70th anniversary of or 75th anniversary of setting up their uh, uh I forget like the the 2027 year is supposed to denote some important anniversary for the ccp or china
1: i mean uh, what i remember 2021 was the hundred years of the founding of the Communist Party, and mm-hmm. twenty forty-seven is the hundred years of the setting up of the People's Republic of China. So, no, the seventy. Okay. Seventy-fifth. Seventy-fifth would uh, then be twenty twenty-two. Right now, so I think. No, no I think, but, but no, but for India it is nineteen forty-seven to twenty twenty-two. But ah, uh... okay, yeah, so another couple of years. You are right. So nineteen forty-nine, when P.R.C. was formed. So you will have mm. another two years. So nine, uh, twenty twenty four, when it would be seventy five years off. Yeah, being... but uh, but like I think you can ignore the math. I mean, there was
0: something related to twenty twenty seven. But anyways, okay. besides the point, like I mean, they might set up a target to go for Taiwan by twenty twenty seven. But they have to be pretty sure of it, right? Because I mean, oh, that's I mean, yeah. right now is the time because when U.S. is distracted with the Ukraine war, I mean, they could try to make a play for it. But once if Ukraine get, I'm sorry, Taiwan gets fortified a lot, then it becomes harder. Mm -hmm. Though I I doubt like if who's, except the U.S. is going to come to Taiwan's aid because nobody wants to anger China at that point. Exactly,
1: exactly. Now you actually gave me a good segue to move over and Mm -hmm. we anyway uh, were supposed to discuss U.S. India ties a little later, but Mm -hmm. now that anyway, we are talking about it, why don't we pick that up? And Mm -hmm. uh, Mohal, since you have been following the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, India ties much closer. Do you want to start us off on uh, how things are uh, positioned out there? I mean, uh, uh, we we find a lot of uh, good things happening, especially the uh, the uh, heads of state, uh, Joe Biden, Modi, and uh, the Japanese Prime Minister, the uh, Australian Prime Minister meeting uh, as part of the head uh, as part of the what summit. So I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, at the highest level, things, things do seem to be quite uh, rosy. Uh, rosy may not be the right word, but at least there's nothing there's nothing to indicate that things are not moving well. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there are also these minor uh, minor irritations that everybody mm-hmm. keeps uh, talking about. Uh, but uh, you and I, we kind of agree that they are not mo- nothing more than minor irritations, right? You want to talk about, about them and kind of explain how
0: uh, how and why they have a very limited appeal yeah i mean so like i mean earlier in the summer i mean just like quite a few months ago they had the quad heads of meet meeting and then even recently like as last week the four naval chiefs uh met in tokyo as mm-hmm. part of the uh, i mean ongoing quad process i would say um uh, on the con side i mean yeah i mean i believe last month uh the u.s ambassador to pakistan he visited uh, Pakistan-occupied Jammu and Kashmir and he uh, tweeted something about, I think, Azad Kashmir, I believe. So, yep. I mean, a lot of people in India were up in arms. There is a U.S. strategic partner and et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, I wouldn't like, obviously, it's not very ideal for India to, him to tweet like this. But I think it just would be, I mean, U.S. saying like, okay, if you are not uh, cognizant of uh, our, position on Ukraine are not supporting us we might also try to needle you on some, something back you know it mean, doesn't mean that uh, I mean what the US position is right or what India's position is right here I mean both countries are doing what it seems uh, right okay. in their national interest but I mean this is like the small tit for tat uh, uh, like di- I mean d- diplomacy that's happening I wouldn't mm-hmm. say like diplomacy would be the right word but uh, tit for tat uh Uh, I guess exchanges between the two sides and I wouldn't put like too much into it. It's not like we're having a full-blown crisis between India and US anytime uh, soon.
1: Very true very true and especially so uh, simply because India now seems to be having a more muscular a more outspoken uh, uh, Mm -hmm. approach approach to global uh, global politicking uh, wherein Mm -hmm. India does not hesitate to uh, stand on its own even if there is that kind of a situation, and India does not mind explaining its stand uh, in foreign capitals, trying to explain to people why it is standing all alone. I think, I think mm. that's the kind of uh, uh, new approach that, uh, that kind of uh, seems to be bothering the other world capital as well. And that is where you see some amount of needling happening, uh, uh, especially uh, the tweet. Uh, referring to POGK as Assad, Kashmir, and all these these, uh, irritants will come up once in a while, and India, again, as everybody knows, uh, did not tow the US line and did not uh, stop buying uh, oil from Russia. Instead, what it did was it ended up buying more uh, from Russia, especially when it was cheaper for for India. So, I think that's the kind of Situation right now, but I think I think we both agree that uh, it's not an alarming situation. It's not something where uh, people would l- lose sleep over such things. And uh, simply, simply put, I think uh, if we have a larger summit level meeting, I think all these will be easily forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. um Okay. Now, now that we are talking about uh, uh, Kashmir and POJK, I think we'll we'll switch over to other side of our borders, and we'll talk about or our
0: uh, other favorite neighbor.
1: Uh, I, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, the other favorite neighbor being uh, Second favorite Pakistan. neighbor. I, I know like, a lot of
0: Pakistanis might not like it, but yeah, I would say second favorite neighbor. Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah, uh, we've had, uh, I mean, the last time we did an episode, there was this crisis, uh, uh, more like a constitutional crisis in Islamabad, where uh Imran Khan, uh, the outgoing prime minister did not want to let go of his uh, office and uh, it was some kind of a uh, uh, irresistible force uh, meeting uh, 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 a power that did not want to relinquish uh, its seat. <laughs> so I think I think since then uh, there has been it has a been lot...
0: all peaceful and calm right? There is nothing much to talk about right?
1: Uh, I mean, on the surface, that's <laughs> how it looks, but scratch the surface a little bit and we see that things are much more volatile than how it appears to be. I mean, uh, the, bi- the big question that everybody had back then and also uh, three, four, five months since then was how was the army going to respond to all this political instability? And uh, somehow the... Uh, Chief of Armstaff uh, Kamal Javad Bajwa, uh, he has been uh, quite uh, determined to tell that he is not going to stay uh, upon his retirement, which is going to happen in the end of November. So I think uh, that is something that looks like the army has made up its mind, telling we will not intervene in the, uh, in the democratic uh, uh, scheme of things and we will not impose some kind of a martial law or I won't be a dictator. So I think that way, um, even the last uh, ray of hope that Imran Khan had, wherein uh, Bajwa would intervene, there would be a martial law, and then over a period of time, Imran Khan and Bajwa can kind of uh, uh, come together, uh, rallying of forces. Somehow that did not happen. So uh, uh, Imran Khan at that time, was left with no friends in the entire Pakistani establishment. Now, since then, what we've had... Uh, I mean, the,
0: I, I would say, like, like some of the core commanders, like the, I think, one in Peshawar, like, I think they are, like, uh, uh, friendly to... General, yeah. No, I think Faisal is uh, the 23 core commander, which mm-hmm. is in... Uh, I mean, I have to look it up. Uh, yeah. But, uh, anyways, the, the, some of the... Uh, parts of the Pakistani military are with supporting Pakistan. Imran. Pakistan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's not like it's like a one thing. I mean, the interesting thing was, I think you saw that the DGISPR had an interesting press conference right. to say the least. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, do you want to like
1: elaborate more on that for the listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, ex- exactly. So uh, the point that I was trying to make is uh, Imran now uh, knowing very well that he had not, he didn't have too many friends he started attacking every wing of Pakistani establishment. Now, what do we mean by that? He actually started attacking the judiciary, the Supreme Court. He started attacking the election commission, which actually barred him from from, uh, uh, standing for any elections for the next five years. And the reason was totally different. The reason given was that he kind of wanted to monetize whatever gifts were given to him in his official capacity as the prime minister of Pakistan. Now, at the same time, he continues to uh, uh, he continues to uh, fight against the uh, the executive, against uh, Shabazz Sharif, and at the same time also uh, uh, raking up past uh, issues against the uh, Pak Army. Now, as, as things go, he has planned one more uh, long march, and that is where uh, things started getting uh, uh, heated up, and every day saw uh, every day saw Imran Khan making uh, fresh allegations, and one of those allegations was directly in, against the army, and uh, that's when the DGISPR had to come come out in the open. Very unusual for the for the Pak army to do that, and they mm-hmm. uh, came and said uh, that uh, the comments by Imran Khan were actually. Uh, not in good taste and they were not true and far from the truth, so on and so forth. So I think that's the kind of uh, 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 extreme political divide that we see in Pakistan right now. And uh, Imran actually seems to be getting popular on the street, especially now with the failed uh, uh, attack on his life. And uh, uh, look, uh, I mean, things things obviously we don't know uh, when the next elections will be. But uh, pa- Imran Khan definitely seems to be getting more and more popular. That's that's the sense that I have when I follow uh, news from Pakistan. Mohan,
0: yeah. So I looked up. Uh, it was actually different general Faiz Amir, who mm-hmm. was a DGISPR earlier, and he was like sort of a favorite of Imran Khan. I think in the last episode we had explained that he wanted him to succeed to be the army chief, which Bajwa didn't like at all, and that's why uh, Faiz Amir was. Uh, sideline and he's in sorry the not on 23rd but the 20 the 31st uh, army corps at Bawalpur in like Punjab so that's where he's at anyway so like the whole thing I wanted to mention was like some of the military establishment there's like a sort of a sort of a split which is kind of unique for the army because they never had this issue where I think the the army has been like one of the most powerful organizations in Pakistan as we all know I mean And, uh, I mean, no prime minister, as we know, that has ever completed a five-year term. And, I mean, army, whenever somebody became too big for issues, they they, used to replace him. But I think this time around, the army seems kind of, uh, I wouldn't say like helpless, but uh, reluctant to move on Imran. I mean, they're using many methods to push him out or sideline him. Mm -hmm. But I think Imran has captured the discontent among the, like, I mean, they had the the Putos and the, I mean, the other family, the Sharifs, I mean, ruling Pakistan. So I think Imran being that outsider role, I mean, which is kind of a, like a kind of a trend in like politics all over the world, like the outsider, like promises to change and like if he, I mean, and him having his his persona, like appeals to a lot of the Pakistanis. So, he has captured a lot of the imagination in Pakistan, especially when the people are tired of the Bhutto's and the Sheriffs ruling okay. for a long time and the situation not getting better. So that personality cult has uh, created a big headache for the Pakistani because it's not, they can get rid of him easy. I mean, maybe the closest one, probably I would say like it was Zulfigar uh, Bhutto, uh, I mean, uh, who was like, I mean, deposed by the army in a coup, but in today's day and age i would it would be hard for them to i mean just look at the day after the assassination attempt on Imran khan and there were like riots and even the army the lieutenant i mean an army uh commander's headquarters was uh, sorry home was attacked which Mm. is kind of unheard of in uh pakistani circle so this is like the first time where i think army is not in totally in control of the situation and it begs a lot of questions i mean For sure, like Baja would want to appoint his successor before, like even if, I mean, Imran's whole thing is he wants fresh elections to be called because I think he won the by-elections a few (laughs) months ago. So he knows that he he, is the favorite to win again, even though it's interesting to note that even the last time when he was like the the army pretty much uh, staged the elections or whatever you want to call it, like, or he was like selected as some say he Mm. couldn't still win a majority, so I don't know what will happen this time around, but let's see even if he wins a majority, Mm. uh, I mean, how will he, I mean, the army basically, basically, I think they would not want to dissolve the parliament or bring down the government, at least till the successor, maybe after the successor gets appointed, maybe it's a different ballgame, maybe the army successor would be more okay to uh, dissolve parliament, I think they are due for elections, I think fall of next year i think or, or late uh, summer next year August.
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah so it won't be the worst thing after maybe after maybe in maybe december after the army chief has uh assumed power and is comfortable maybe he calls for fresh election because i mean imran practically i said like i will be on the street for 10 months which is kind of unbelievable mm. uh, i mean they're pretty much barricaded like is uh i think islamabad right or raul pindi I always forget like which one uh, one of the places like uh geo strategic analyst said, like there are more containers more right company. now in in <laughs> Rawalpindi than in uh, the port of uh, oh, Gwadar. Yeah. So uh, I don't think the situation can be uh, I, it can go on for ten more months. I think mm. sooner or later the government will fall and um, they will have to have fresh elections at that
1: point. You know. Agree. 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 Okay, so uh, now that we have spoken with uh, Pakistan, I think we'll shift our focus a little bit. Uh, we know that the G20 summit is going to happen this week in Indonesia. And then the talk of the town would obviously be uh, the Russian president, uh, Vladimir Putin, not attending. Instead, uh, his uh, foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, attending on his behalf. But I think what's more uh, more important is what is happening in Europe right now. Russia, after all those uh, Uh, early gains that we saw where everybody thought that uh, Russia would easily kind of bulldoze Ukraine uh, kind of found it hard to maintain uh, the gains that they had on the ground and it's now kind of giving up Kherson and uh, stepping back and uh, at the same time Ukraine is also kind of very uh, uh, itchy about uh, claiming victory right away because they think that this might actually be some kind of a booby trap as well. But uh, more importantly, I think the lesson for everybody or the takeaway for everybody is that the battlefield gains would actually be tough to hold on to for both parties, especially if the Russians decide to attack and uh, want to uh, decide that they will have some kind of a a hide-and-seek game. I think that's when things will actually become more complicated. But more importantly, I think uh, uh, what is... What, is, uh, what needs to be in focus. That's the kind of ramifications that we are seeing in Europe right now. The talk, the talk of the town right now is uh, the, the new term that we have of the European winter, wherein everybody is now focused on how uh, Europe will manage their uh, energy needs, especially for the winter months. And uh, Mohal, I think that's where uh, this... Uh, economic uh, uh, economic question marks uh, are still uh, people don't have uh, proper answers for. I think uh, right now uh, EU has found able partner in Azerbaijan where uh, they claim that they have enough energy uh, for their winter needs but at the same time I think uh, uh, that does not imply that their uh, political uncertainty might actually be wished away. I mean, all these uh, high energy costs or uh, these uh, recession uh, fears are actually playing on to playing on the minds of the people, and uh, we see a lot of protests happening, especially in eastern and southeastern parts of uh, uh, Europe, especially in the uh, in the uh, former Yugoslav Republic. So I think uh, that's where. A uh, lot of uh, lot of action might uh, happen, especially in the winter. And uh, Germany, of course, uh, always finds it hard to uh, stay with the EU in all these matters. Uh, and uh, they get an earful from uh, France, from all the other uh, European nations. Uh, Mohan, you want to add on? Add on to this?
0: Yeah, I think in terms of the energy, couple of things. So. They have like uh, stocked up on the natural gas. I think they have 80 to 90% of what they rec- typically require through the winter. Currently, I think Europe is experiencing a slightly warmer than usual temperatures. So they haven't used up a lot of their reserves, uh, so to speak, compared to a normal winter year. They should be able to get through this winter uh though there is a big question mark on who puts the energy the energy bill i mean is it the individual customers or the citizens or the government itself which in that case they have to print more to make up the difference which is kind of hard like when they're running at 10 percent inflation in many of these nations okay. but anyways coming back to the the natural gas i mean they're trying to find suppliers but i mean like unlike oil, like natural gas is hard because you have to liquefy it and you need specialized ports for loading and unloading. So even if you find a willing seller, I mean, like you have Qatar, you have Australia and many other nations, like the thing is like moving around and having, I mean, like countries like US, they have like a inbuilt pipelines to move like oil and natural gas across the nation, but Europe, they might not have it like where from the port side, like from the seaside, like to transport it inland everywhere anyways keeping aside those all those technical challenges, uh, they might not have enough supplies for next year, right? And then moving away from Russian gas is going to take a few years' uh, time. So it's the next winter, they say, is more tr- troublesome versus this year, you
1: know? Right, right. And especially since uh, the, the Ukraine-Russia conflict uh, looks like it's going to continue beyond this winter. I think I think nobody knows uh, what's the end game out there or how how uh, things should pan out. Uh, Yeah, I mean it looks like a stalemate because, like, I mean,
0: in the initially, Russia made a lot of advances. Mm. Then now, Russia, I mean, sorry, uh, Ukraine has made a lot of advances since September, and uh, I think they have like Russia has. Uh, retreated like east of the Dnepro river mm. uh, as a strategic I mean now, now crossing the river and I mean Ukraine can but like, at some point if they overstretch themselves then they could have Russia Russian counterattack. and Russia also is like militarily not that uh, shown to be that strong I mean, but to be honest like Russia has not thrown a lot of its reserves into the fight I mean they did call up some reserves but they haven't put like a bulk of the military force for whatever reason, that's a separate discussion altogether. So it could, the fighting could go on because, like, Ukraine might not fall because there are a lot of supplies of material from the West and the Russians, they haven't, they still have more resources to put in. So it could just be like a bloody stalemate going forward. But nonetheless, like, at least, like, just last week, we had this um, the rumor floated in the Western media that they could be asking Zelensky to. To some sort of compromise with the uh, Russians and like I mean the question now will be like will Putin and Zelensky come to a compromise in the future and end this war for like uh, timing and uh, I mean nobody knows like what would be the terms of an agreement could maybe the rest of Ukraine which is not under Russian control excluding the Donbass like can it mm-hmm. have NATO troops stationed in there stuff like that it will be like a lot of thorny stuff to work out in terms of a peace mm-hmm. deal but at least I mean, maybe the rumor was just floated around to see, like, how would be the public reaction to it? And if there's not too much pushback, I mean, since, like, the the midterms are over and uh, there might be less political opposition, they might just push them, at least the Ukrainian side towards negotiation. I think even, like, uh, I think a couple of days ago, there was some news articles in the Western media, which after a long time of criticizing India for buying Russian energy, which Europe does. I mean, as Jay Shankar has pointed, like U.S., Europe buys buys as much energy in a one day as like a, India does in a month. Uh, there were some positive articles highlighting India's uh, uh, contribution to having a conversation with Russia on the war and you know how they've been helping, which was kind of a change from the earlier articles which were like negative against India. Now there were some articles pro India, so maybe they are working the back channels through India or other nations to see if. Putin and Zelensky can come around and end this war for
1: once and all, you know. Agree, agree. I mean, uh, Modi's statement that now is not not the time for war, I think got a lot of uh, coverage in the Western media, wherein uh, it was kind of analyzed as uh, uh, Russian friends also uh, telling Russia that now is not the time of war, wherein the Western media was uh, quite conveniently put uh, Modi also in the Russian camp. I don't know for what reason, but um, yeah, uh, his statement got yeah. But I mean, dec-
0: around a week ago, like there was an article in the New York Times saying like could India help broker peace in Ukraine? Absolutely. So that also is yeah.
1: interesting. So yeah, yeah. So uh, all these all these countries which deliberately had an ambivalent stand, like Turkey, India, I mean, all these all these countries will obviously their names will keep cropping up once in a while. I mean, more so with Turkey, I believe, rather than India. Uh, Turkey has, has more uh, skin in the game.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. I and mean,
1: Putin is willing to
0: negotiate in any and every conflict around the world. He's like the negotiator for any conflict around the world.
1: Absolutely. So, Erdogan, uh, that way, I think uh, he might actually wish to have some kind of uh, uh, stake in any kind of uh, uh, settled negotiation. So I think his mm-hmm. efforts will continue irrespective of what's happening in, uh, in uh, Berlin mm-hmm. or Brussels or even Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. I think Ankara will, will uh, want to have its stamp on a negotiated settlement and uh, that's where Erdogan will need to be keenly followed. Mohan, mm-hmm. well, you have anything to add?
0: So no, I think you pretty much covered it on the Ukraine part. So let's see what happens on the Ukraine front in the next few weeks or months to come.
1: Okay, great. So yeah, these were the uh, prime topics that we had for discussion today. And uh, obviously these are the uh, burning topics right now that we see and their ramifications on India. So uh, dear listeners, if you guys uh, have anything to share that you think... Uh, uh, you would want us to uh, cover in one of our uh, subsequent episodes, uh, please do let us know. You can reach out to us and uh, we can then uh, cover them in our future episodes. But then do remember that these topics should directly be related to Indian foreign policy. Now having said that, we again uh, uh, want to indicate that uh, there was a long break in our previous episode and now but we would be far more regular going forward and you would be hearing more regularly from us. And until the next time, this is Mohal and Kishore signing off.